Thanks for joining us. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and stir up your faith. If you'd like to follow along with Pastor's Notes, you can download our app in your favorite app store or go to the on-demand page at walkingbyfaith.tv. God uses His presence in us to profit everyone, to spread His love, to know His grace, to know His peace. The devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has no weapon against the Prince of Peace. And today we're going to be learning of God's uncontrollable peace. And today again, I want to talk to you about hosting the presence of God. I want to begin with Joel chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. The the Holy Spirit has fallen. Literally, the church is born. Peter is preaching, and people are looking at what's happening. Uh, They said, look, these people are drunk. And he goes back, Peter does, and quotes Joel. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So the last days literally began on the day of Pentecost. And if those were the last days 2,000 years ago, how many will agree? These are the last of the last days. So this prophecy is about us. I remember during this series, we've talked a little bit about Samuel. 1 Samuel 3 says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no open vision. In other words, the Spirit of God was doing very little at that time. However, in the day that Peter prophesied about, he said, this is that, it'll come to pass in the last days that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. This is not a day that God is holding back. This is a time when God is pouring out of His Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will, will uh, you know, you'll see visions. The old men will dream dreams. And upon my men servant and my main servant, I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So we're living in the time that the Spirit of God is being poured out on the earth. And if you're a born-again Christian, the second most important thing about you is how you host the presence of God. What do you do with the presence of God? Now, it's in uh, John chapter 16 in verse 8 where Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. And he said that that Spirit is going to be your helper, your counselor, your advocate, your intercessor, your strengthener, and your standby. So he's in there. What are we doing with the presence of God? You know, it's very possible to be anointed, to have the presence of God on you, and still be making a mess of your life. I think about Samson. Now, for those of you who don't know, he's one of the Old Testament heroes. He's a judge of Israel. God's Spirit would come upon him, and he would receive supernatural strength. You know, we've got Samsonite luggage, supposed to be the toughest. You know, Samsonite flooring is supposed to be the best and the toughest. Well, it comes from, from this man. Now, when the Spirit of God would rest on him, he would do great things. But let me just say something. All the rest of the time, he was an idiot. 
But what can I say? What can we say? All right. Yeah, now, now here, here is the, his, his birth is supernaturally spoken about. And it says, Behold, you will conceive and bear a son. Now, no drink. Oh, no, excuse me. Now, drink no wine or similar drink. And don't eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from his mother's womb. So the Nazarite could not do a couple of things. They couldn't drink wine or have anything, anything that came from the fruit of the vine. Raisins, grapes, wine. They couldn't have. They could not cut their hair. And they were not to touch any dead person or animal. So he's born. He's supernaturally he's prophesied his birth. And the Bible says in Judges 13, 25, that the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him. Right? So God's Spirit would come on him. Now, th th this young man, who the Spirit of God comes on, he, he takes a, a small trip from town. He, he goes about five miles away to a little village called Timnath. Now, the thing about Timnath is that he crosses the border and he leaves Israel and he goes into the land of the Philistines. Now, I know we live in a, in a, uh, in a very, very multicultural society, but, but let me just say there was a huge difference between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Israelites are worshiping God. The Philistines are worshiping Dagon. Now, Dagon is actually a male mermaid. Can you think of an uglier thing on the planet? So he's a man from the waist up and literally a fish from the waist down, right? And, and the, the way that they worship their God, very, very different. And so he sees a girl there, and uh, she's hot. So he goes home, and he says, hey, Dad, I want her for a wife. And his, his parents say, uh, look, why don't you marry a Jewish girl? Why must you go and get a wife from the heathen Philistines? Isn't there one girl among all the people of Israel that you could marry? But Samson said, told his father, hey, she's the one I want. Get her for me. Another translation says, she looks good to me. She looks good to me. How many of you know you need more than looks? Right? And, and I know I got in trouble for saying this once, but I'm going to just say it again. <laughs> you know, looks are great, but looks are not permanent. You say, but she's beautiful. Yeah. But someday she's going to wave goodbye and the bottom of her arm is going to go like that. You know, it's just <laughs> stuff changes. All right? But now, now notice the first thing about this guy. All right. He does not listen to good counsel. You say, yeah, but God speaks to me. I'm anointed. Yeah, he was anointed too. All right? But he wouldn't listen to good counsel. All right? So he's going to see the girl. And the Bible says that he goes through the vineyard. Now, listen, when you are not supposed to have wine, grapes, even raisins, how many of you know vineyard's not the place for you? Right? But he's going through the vineyard, and surprise, it says, as he's going through the vineyard, a young lion came roaring against him. Let me say something. You get places that you should not be, and the devil will show up. And there's some places as a believer that you should not be. There's things you shouldn't be doing. But you know what? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he took that lion and literally ripped him apart. 
with his bare hands. Now, the Bible tells us it was the Spirit of God that supernaturally gave him strength. But he still is a mess, right? The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Right? Now, but he did get married. Um, by the way, that marriage lasted 10 days. Uh, how many of you know you need more than good looks? Right? Good looks did not make it. About 10 years pass. He says, now Samson went down to Gaza and he saw a harlot there. And he went into her. Everybody just go, yuck, yuck. Like you mean it. All right. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place. They laid wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it's daylight, we'll kill him. He laid low till about midnight. And he took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bars and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Um, he picked up the gates and the posts. This is, this is the equivalent of pulling up two telephone poles and carrying a semi. And he goes to the hill in front of Hebron. That's over 20 miles. Now, how many of you will agree that that was supernatural? How many will agree that God did not approve of how he was living? And here's what we sometimes do. We think, well, because God's spirit comes on me. I worship and I feel his presence. God uses me. God blesses me. And we think because of that, that everything that we do, God just kind of winks at and it's all right. But that's not true. It's not true. Right? And it's... Uh, a few more years later, and he's in the Valley of Sorek with a woman named Delilah. And how many of you know how that whole thing turns out? You know? But was he anointed? Yeah. You know, the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. See? So, so just because God uses you does not mean that God approves of everything that you're doing in your life. In fact, Samson was living a very compromised ungodly life but yet the anointing of God was still on him now the Holy Spirit he's to be our counselor our helper our advocate our intercessor our standby and our strengthener but again I want to remind you he is our helper but because he's our helper that means that we have got to begin we have got to initiate something I think a great example of this is the promised land. God told the children of Israel, I have given you the promised land. It's yours. Now, what they had to do is they had to go in and dispossess the enemies. But they wouldn't do it because of fear. They said there's giants, there's walled cities, there's seven nations, and we cannot go in. Now, the Bible says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. In other words, God wanted to do things for them that they never received because they were passive, they were full of doubt and unbelief. 
Now, what we have to do is we need to do something, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and he is our helper. But if we're doing nothing, there's nothing for him to do. Forty years later, the children of those people who said we can't go in, all of whom died in the desert, they crossed the river, Jordan. They marched around a city named Jericho. They shouted, and God knocked down the walls. See, we can be passive. We can sit back in fear and in unbelief, and then we're going to live under our privileges. Right? We've got to rise up in faith. In 2 Timothy 2.26, it says this, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Been taken captive by him, by the devil, to do his will. You know, when you're doing his will, it's because your will is passive. It's because you've surrendered. It's because you're not willing to fight. You know, Adam gave up the position, the rule of the earth that God gave him. You know, the Lord God, the Bible says in Genesis 2.15, he took man, he put him in the garden of Eden to tend, to guard, and to keep it. To tend, to guard, and to keep it. But when Satan comes with temptation, he folds. Satan is attacking his wife, but he didn't act on her behalf. Satan threatened to take everything that God had put under his authority, and he does nothing. He sits back. He acquiesces. He's silent. He's passive. And what happens? Satan ends up taking what God had given to Adam and Eve. Satan became the prince. Originally, Adam was God's prince. You know, Jesus said, the prince of this world comes, and he has nothing in me, speaking of Satan. In 1 John 5, 19, we know that we're of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one because Adam sat back and was passive and did nothing. You know, it is better to fight than to become a slave. Don't look for comfort, ease, entertainment, and pleasure. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know, the Bible says he'll always lead us in triumph in Christ, but we have got to move that the Holy Spirit moves with us. He is our helper. He's not the initiator. We are to be the initiator. Right? And the Holy Spirit is not just on your life for your benefit. I love what it said when God made David king. For the sake of his people Israel. 2 Samuel 5, 12. For the sake of his people Israel. It was to benefit others. You know, healing, victory, deliverance, peace. It's for others. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, it talks about the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of all. For the benefit of all. God wants to move in you, not just for your benefit, but he wants to move in you and through you for the benefit of others as well. It's to profit all. In Isaiah chapter 6, I love this. It's, it, it's the, 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 Isaiah has a vision. The year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a great godly king. And when he died, I think that Isaiah, in his heart, he thought, man, the, the godly leadership 
is gone. It says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his robe, or the train of his robe, filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each one having six wings, with two he covered his face, and two his feet, and two flew, and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken with the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And he begins to partake of that worship. He's entering in. And then I love what happens. Heard a voice saying, whom shall I send? And after his worship of God, this is what he says. God says, who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Too often, worship becomes an end in itself with us. And it's where it ends, right? Now, worship is really the ultimate ministry. But there's people who think that they're great worshipers. In fact, you say to them, like, what do you do? Well, I'm a worshiper, I'm a worshiper. But there's no activity outside of the worship experience. They, don't, they aren't serving. They aren't doing anything. I believe it is impossible to see God's heart and turn a cold shoulder to his search for people to volunteer and serve. See, when, when Isaiah was there in the midst of the worship, he said, here am I, send me. See, to worship and not sure shows that our worship, in our worship, we have not encountered the heart of God. Because the heart of God is to reach, is to reach the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And we hear people talk today about a worship culture. And again, worship is the ultimate ministry. But we can get literally, I think there's people that they worship, worship. They're just into the experience of worship. Let me ask this question. Is your passion measurable outside of your expression of worship? Is your passion measurable outside of your expression of worship? So you lift your hands, you clap, maybe you dance, maybe you get on your knees. That's all awesome. But can we see something, your passion, is it measurable? Can we distinguish it? Can we see it outside of that expression? Because when Isaiah worshiped, we could look later and see that that expression of worship did not end in the worship experience, but that expression of worship kept on changing his life, changed what he did, and he became a servant. He said, here am I, send me. I am going to do something. And to think that we have, we have really worshiped and touched God's heart and not have it change us to where what is important to God becomes important to us, we are deceived. Our love for God must be seen in our love for and our serving people. In our love for and our serving people. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus said, 
Hey, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Lovers of God are privileged to enforce the victory that Jesus purchased for us at the cross. At the cross. Now, uh, actually, from the very first week, this is where I've been trying, one of the things I've been trying to get to. So here we go. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 2. This is about King David. And it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there. So what David is doing when he's thinking there's there's a change, circumstances have changed, and perhaps I need to do something, he inquires of the Lord. And when he gets an answer, he inquires again. Now, when God leads you and I, and and we're going to get to this eventually, the number one way he leads us is with his word. But his word doesn't tell you which city to go to. His word does not tell you who you should marry. His word doesn't tell us where we should work, where we should go to school, what we should pursue as a career. So we've talked a little bit about how God leads us through desire. Romans 7, excuse me, Acts 7, verse 23, and it came into the heart of Moses when he was 40 years old to visit the children of Israel. God put something in his heart. In Philippians 2, in verse 13, translators, New Testament says, God himself is at work in you. He inspires you to want what pleases him and to work for them. So God puts desires in our hearts. But one of the main things that God does for us as New Testament believers is he leads us with peace. He gives us his peace. In Colossians 3, in verse 15, it says, Let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ's rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind in that peaceful state. So it says that God's peace is to be your umpire. So you're considering doing something, and you don't have peace. This is what God's saying. If you do that, you're going to be out of the will of God. The umpire says out. But if you have peace, God's saying, safe. You do that, you're in the will of God. See, the peace of God is one thing the devil could never counterfeit. Never. He doesn't have any peace to give. In fact, Jesus to his disciples says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. So when God puts that peace on the inside, we know we're in the will of God. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Now, circumstances may not look great, but that doesn't mean anything. We've got peace. I remember when Jeannie and I first went to Mexico, we're missionaries. Uh, we, we got down to where, like, we ran out of money. Right? I mean, we were out of money. And I, I remember saying to Jeannie, you know, some people would probably leave. I said, but let, let's go live in the van. We had a van. I said, we're going to go live in the van. Right? And you say, why did you, you? You know why? Because we just had peace. We had peace. We knew we were where we were, where we were supposed to be. Now, the circumstances did not look good. How many of you, when you don't have eight cents, things don't look good? 
the rent's due and you don't have anything and you don't even have eight cents. Right? But we had peace. So what did you do? We just stayed. We stayed. And, and, and by the way, very often when God is moving in your behalf, things don't look good right away. When God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites, the Bible says that when they went and told Pharaoh, let my people go, Pharaoh said, the people are lazy. They need more work. And so they will make the same number of bricks as before, but I won't give them any straw. And they need to go get their own straw. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, you put a death sentence on us. And Moses said to the Lord, look, I've come, and you haven't delivered my people even a little bit. I mean, there's not even a little bit of, of progress going on. But they were right in the middle of the will of God. You know, when you've got that peace, when you've got that peace, you just stay with it. Again, Satan cannot in any way counterfeit that peace. Let the peace from Christ's rule act as umpire continually. You know, the circumstances can look right, but on the inside of you, there's just something just kind of scratching going, don't do it. Don't do it. How many of you did it anyway? <laughs> How many know it turned out bad? It just turned out bad. That was that peace of God, right? It's the peace of God. Now, very often, even when God is blessing and God is using us, we tend to think that it's us, right? But it's not. You see, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he anoints, he empowers, and he works through yielded vessels. This is what Paul said in Romans 15. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. In word, in deed, in making the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit from Jerusalem and all the way around where he went. Now, notice he says that Christ has accomplished through me. But Christ has accomplished through me. It's, it's interesting that the gospel of Mark ends with the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. The Lord doing what? Working with. With them. Not for them. The Lord working with them. It's what Christ, through the Spirit, accomplishes. He wants to move more than we even want him to move. But we've got to yield. We've got to believe. We've got to move. We have to initiate. And the Spirit is not given to make us smarter, but so we can see the unseen realities of wisdom and revelation in him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may what? Know him. That I may know him. You know, it's not about a bunch of knowledge. It's about a relationship with him. Philippians 3, yet indeed, I count all those things as lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I want to know him. What drives us should never be a need to perform, to get God's approval, but a need to commune with God, a need to please him. Right? A need to say, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Only connected to him do we understand who we are and what our purpose is. 
The purpose to live a life devoted to discovering and hosting the presence of God. And no matter where we are in God, there's more. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel has a vision and he sees the, 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 the throne of God and the, 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 the river that's flowing out. And the angel takes him and he says he goes a thousand meters and it's up to his ankles. But then he takes him another thousand meters and it's up to his knees. He takes him another thousand meters and it's up to his waist. Now listen, some of us, we're ankle deep. We're ankle deep. That's all the deeper we are. We're ankle deep in the things of God and in knowing him. We are ankle deep. But listen, uh, you, you, can, you can get knee deep and you can get waist deep. Some are just knee deep, but there's more. You can get waist deep. But then he said, he took him out another thousand meters and, and he said it was to swim in because it was just over his head. What he's saying is no matter where we are in God, there is more. There is more. There is more. I mean, there is more peace. There is more victory. There's more deliverance. There is more of everything that God has for us, which literally is everything that our heart desires. But it comes when we begin to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thanks for the opportunity today to share the word of God with you. And if you're watching today and you realize in your heart you're not right with God or you're away from the Lord and you say, I want to be right with God. You see, there's two things that are necessary. The first one is for you to surrender your life to Jesus and you need to receive the forgiveness that he has for you. And if you say, I want to pray a prayer, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus, and I want to receive the forgiveness he has for me, would you bow your head, repeat this prayer, make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins, and I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I surrender to Jesus. I'm going to live for him. And I receive the forgiveness that you have for me. I thank you, I'm forgiven, my past is gone, I'm a part of your family, I'm on my way to heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard your prayer and you are right with God. And I want you to keep growing spiritually. And because of that, I wrote a book and I wanna send it to you absolutely free of charge. All the information's right there on your screen, you can download it absolutely free. If you can't download it and need a hard copy, contact us, we'll get you that free of charge. Hey. We're praying for you, we love you, and God bless. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, you are making the best decision of your life. How awesome. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv and request a copy of this book be mailed to you. Or you can download it right there instantly. Either way, it's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. Walking by Faith is used across the globe to spread the truth that changes lives on and off the air. To partner with us financially in this great commission, go to walkingbyfaith.tv give. Today's program is available on Roku and Amazon Fire TV by searching Walking by Faith. Or check out our app where you can download any message for easy offline listening. If you need someone to pray with or God is just doing amazing things in your life, we would love to hear about it. You can contact us by phone, email, or through our app. 
Also, find us on your favorite social platform by searching WBF-TV. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time.